Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, there was a time when the airplane Concorde was a sparkling vision of the future, travelling at twice the speed of sound. It could cross the Atlantic in less than half the time of other aircraft. But the prohibitive cost and a tragic crash seemed to end the era of supersonic travel. But it may be coming back. The aviation journalist and author of the book Sky Stories, Dave Unwin, joins us now. Good afternoon, Dave. Good afternoon. So what's happening? Who, who's developing uh, a new supersonic aircraft? Uh, it's an American company called Boom. And they've been cutting metal and designing a, a, basically a solid Concorde. It looks very much like Concorde. It's slightly smaller and not quite as fast. Right, OK. Uh, and given what happened to Concorde, calling your company Boom seems somewhat ill-advised, uh, I would have thought. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> I have to agree with you on that one. The, the, and, but, so it, it's like Concorde, but maybe a smaller, slightly slower version. Yeah, it's very similar to Concorde, primarily because if you're going to design an aircraft to go supersonic and carry passengers, it's going to look like a supersonic airliner, mm. which is what Concorde was, which is also why the Russian one also looked very similar. Not the same, but similar. Yeah. So would that imply there hasn't been a great leap in technology then? It's more aerodynamics. Um, If you think about it, say a lot of modern cars look the same because that's the way a modern car looks. If you put it in a wind Mm. tunnel and then put the data into a computer, you know, a Lexus, a Jaguar, they all look quite similar. And aeroplanes are the same. Uh, An Airbus A320 and a Boeing 737 look very, very similar. Okay, so Boom uh, have have developed these craft and United Airlines have ordered 15 of them. That's correct, Sean. Yeah, and so uh, does that mean soon that people will be able to travel faster than the speed of sound on a United Airlines aircraft or is this kind of more an expression of interest? It's an expression of interest. Boom hasn't flown the prototype yet, which is called the XB-1. The airliner is called the Overture um, and... It's a long way from being soon. I think we can safely say that. Mm. It's going to be several years because they've got a lot of flight testing to do to certify a supersonic airliner where it's never been done privately. It took uh, the Russian government and the French and British governments to certify their supersonic airliners and it cost an awful lot of money and took several years. Right, okay. And and so, so why do you think United are doing it? Is there any great demand for it? That's a good question. Uh, right now, it's it's simply an expression of interest. As you said, Sean, they've uh, ordered 15 with an option for another 35, if, if you excuse the pun, it takes off. Mm. That's that's still a long, long way down, down the track, or down the runway in this case. Whether the, the market exists, again, who knows? It's going to be several years before this machine is certified to carry passengers, many years, in fact. By then, the market may exist. In the current climate, I'm not so sure that it does. But we're talking many years before you'll see one of these things in service. Yeah, well, one could be doubtful for a couple of reasons. One being, you know, we're in the still kind of in the era of, of cheap air, air flight. And presumably if you get, you know, you can you can get your conventional plane that will bring you across the Atlantic. But the, the one that goes twice as fast will probably cost twice as much. Plus also the environmental impact of a plane like this, I would imagine, would be fairly hefty. Yes, you're totally correct on both those points, Sean. The environmental considerations will not be untrivial. I think, as with Concorde, there will be resistance 
And again, as with Concorde, what the airlines didn't need was faster. They needed bigger. And that's why I think only 14 Concords ever entered service and Boeing sold about 1,700 747s. It's you need passenger mile. You need sorry, good passenger mile economics. Mm. Uh, and supersonic travel is always going to be expensive. Yeah. So each passenger seat mile is not going to be cheap. Never yeah. will be. Uh, plus, it was a really a noisy plane as well. Concorde was phenomenally noisy because it was basically powered by military spec um, engines uh, using afterburners. And uh, if you've ever been to an air show and heard a, a jet fighter. Uh, do a display in afterburner. Imagine four of those, and it's a lot of noise. Now, again, Boom may have um, some new technology or some new engines that are quieter, but I suspect it's still going to be pretty noisy. Yeah, and and from what I've read about Concorde, it was it, 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 it was such a skinny plane, if you like. Just it wasn't that comfortable to be inside. Um, it was certainly pretty small, but. I think that the service was very good, and I imagine the seats were probably quite comfortable. Mm. But you're only on it for a couple of hours, yeah. So you know, and and it did what it said on the tin. You could literally have uh, breakfast in London and lunch in New York. Yeah. And if you're a busy man, we all know that time is money. And if you make a lot of money, then your time is precious. Is there a longer game in mind here? In that there might be some sort of generation of planes that come after this that can do something that mightn't destroy the, the environment and uh, might be genuinely of, uh, attractive to people. Oh, absolutely. There will be eventually, I believe, um, hypersonic space planes where most of the flight will be outside the atmosphere, suborbital, and then you'll be going from London to Sydney in just a few hours, probably, possibly even less. And, of course, although you'll still have to get the thing up into space... Once it's in space, there's no real environmental damage at all. Mm. So I think that it will come. The Probably one of the most interesting things about Concorde's retirement was for the first time in human history, a transportation system was retired and it wasn't replaced by anything faster. Yeah, that is that is so interesting. Which, you know, perhaps implies that the overwhelming majority of people weren't in that much of a rush. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, or they couldn't afford it, of course. Yeah, there's, there's that too. Uh, Dave, thanks a million uh, for speaking with us today. That's uh, Dave Unwin there, an aviation journalist and author of uh, the anthology Sky Stories. Uh, a couple of comments on that. Have we forgotten about the burning planet? Well, as you uh, heard Dave said there, uh, the uh, the impact of a supersonic uh, airliner would be significant. So... You know, are they really going to go there? Uh, Tim says, also we're forgetting one of the biggest complaints on Concorde was the lack of personal space. A longer flight with more space and comfort, one out in the end for a reason. Uh, and well, indeed. Plus also, it was, at the time, Concorde was flying over and back. It was like something like five grand uh, to, uh, one way to take a ticket on it. So, and who wants to pay that? Also in the era when you're of the Zoom call, would you really be bothered? Uh, going back uh, to uh, a few comments about uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol that we were talking to Jeremy Ferreter about. Uh, Brian says, we should always remember uh, Boris, this is Boris Johnson, obviously, is a journalist before he was a politician. He thinks problems can be solved uh, with a 5,000-word article. Journos make terrible politicians. I'm trying to, I was trying to think of, a, of an example, of, and I can't think of one. So you may well be right, uh, uh, Brian. But even it should be remembered when he did work for The Spectator and he was based in Brussels for uh, a long time. And even then was his fellow journalists 
um, and I use that term as loosely as possible, always thought he was a bit special. Let's put it that way. That uh, if you wanted uh, reliable information, you wouldn't go to Boris uh, uh, to get it, uh, sort of thing. And was quite naked in his, uh, his disdain for the European Union, even at that point. Uh, Kev says, I don't recall that there was ever a United Ireland. Maybe when we had a high king of Ireland, but not since. In the centuries since, the inhabitants of this island uh, were forever fighting with each other, changing sides and importing Norman and Scottish mercenaries. So it won't be a United Ireland in the Sinn Féin sense. It would have to be a brand spanking new country. That's the starting point of any discussion. Uh, says Kev. Indeed, you're absolutely right. And and uh, Shauna Phelan's book, The Irish, um, which kind of gives a cultural history of Ireland, is very interesting in that regard. And more and more, Irishness is really a mixture of various things. And we were a patchwork of different uh, kingdoms, even when we had a high king of Ireland. And one could argue that a sense of Irishness, a very distinct sense of Irishness, only really took hold in this country after the British invaded. So in a weird sense... We can thank them for that. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. You have to take a break after that. How the bouncy castle changed the world. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 pm on News Talk.